Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. In this episode, I speak with musician and yoga teacher Danny Paradise. Danny has been practicing Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga since 1976 and teaching worldwide since 1979. He's known for his non-dogmatic and exploratory approach to Ashtanga Vinyasa and has taught numerous well-known musicians, athletes, and artists, including Sting and Madonna. He travels the world teaching all levels of students and encourages people to take up a sacred, personal, and healing yoga practice for themselves. In addition to teaching yoga, Danny is an accomplished musician, songwriter, and filmmaker. He has released two albums of music, River of the Soul in 2000, and Travelers, Magicians, and Shamans in 2008. He's currently at work on a new album, and I had a chance to catch up with him while he's at home in Hawaii. This interview is really special for me because I consider Danny a friend and mentor. Over the years, he's always been there whenever I needed to consult a trusted elder about some of the issues I faced in my journey as a yoga teacher. I really value his advice because he's someone who's really seen it all, and he's always helped me to keep my sights on the bigger picture and stay true to myself. He doesn't give many interviews because... I think he's more comfortable speaking about yoga in an organic teaching context, which I can totally relate to. I don't feel very comfortable giving presentations about yoga, but when I'm with a student who's curious and asking questions, anything I have to offer just flows out in a more natural way. And I think you'll hear that in this conversation. Once we get warmed up, Danny's many years of experience and embodied wisdom just pours out of him in a way that is so genuine and refreshing. You can really hear that he's been living a yogic life for many, many years. So take a deep breath and dive into this conversation where we speak about music, ancestral wisdom, global activism, and finding personal freedom and healing through the power of love. Sun. 
It's touched everything that's been done I met you a few years back in Whistler, B.C. when you offered a workshop called, um, well, I think it was called Ashtanga Yoga, Shamanism, and Freedom. And um, I was initially intrigued because I hadn't met too many other people who'd drawn the parallels between yoga and shamanism. And I was wondering if you could speak about how those things are related and maybe in doing that offer your definition of what they are. Well, I... Through my uh, participation in different kinds of ceremonies and um, people in Brazil in the Western Amazon in the early 90s, I started to realize the common threads in indigenous explorations, native explorations all over the world, whether it was North and South American native Indians or um, aboriginals or uh, indigenous people of Indonesia or Thailand and I recognize that perhaps in our in our history we've all been involved in these uh, shamanic cultures long before religions when most people lived in nature so it's this you know the understanding that uh, these all the teachings come from nature and I recognized back uh, in those early days that the origins of yoga were perhaps meditative communication with nature and the, the information and the knowledge was passed to the human race. So you have these, uh, the, the information of yoga and how to take care of yourself and how to help uh, heal yourself constantly throughout your life, as well as learn how to communicate with your spirit and your soul. And also that all these teachings or different technologies and different cultures aimed at consciousness, evolutionary consciousness and freedom, um, recognizing that we could, we can communicate with the spirit without intermediaries, can communicate with nature directly and receive information and energy from nature. And the teachings of yoga point to that and all the indigenous ceremonies that have been created in history point to that. So this was, uh, you know, this was a revelation to me at the time, and I started exploring it in literature and through other ceremonies and uh, just gradually expanded my view of all these techniques that had been created tens of thousands of years ago on Earth. Yeah, I've been doing some research into the old text myself, and when I read about soma, uh, it's really clear that that's some kind of plant entheogen that they were um, that they were producing and using uh, to find some deep insights and inspiration. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. All over the world, all these indigenous cultures were in tune with plant medicines and how to uh, use them in a balanced way to explore uh, deeper levels of knowledge and awareness. One of my friends just wrote a book. He's a professor in England. His name is Matthew Clark. Um, and he wrote uh, a book called The Tawny One, where he's trying to, uh, just a theory, but he's showing that the origins of uh, yoga uh, could have been from Soma, which he equates with ayahuasca. So. You know, it's interesting to understand that all these indigenous cultures were experimenting with these things for thousands and thousands of years in small circles and uh, creating healers and shamans and awareness uh, of the evolutionary trail of the soul. So um, it's important, I think, to explore the roots of all this and recognize it's it's all much older than anybody realizes. Shamanism and yoga are the oldest healing arts on earth. Yeah, I think the really interesting thing about um, soma is that out of that usage came practices that um, I think were probably inspired by the 
plant medicine experience of the rishis taking soma, I think they probably learned the breathing techniques and the asanas through that use. That's kind of the theory that I'm working with because you can kind of follow the trail. Um, you know, it starts in the Vedas, they're talking about the use of soma. And then out of that, these practices start to become developed. And then the soma shows up in the body. And the yogi is now accessing the endogenous soma through the breathing practices, which is really incredible and I think very unique. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, they were learning techniques where you could receive the same information and receive the, sa receive the same healing force uh, through, like you say, exploration of breath and stimulation of the nervous system and the glandular system and uh, slowing down brainwave pulse through the breath, which is, you know, understood scientifically, how we move into a light trance state when you, when you breathe deeply or when you just spend time in nature. And then it goes to deeper trance states through, sometimes through deeper techniques or even just resting at the end of a yoga practice. You move from beta to alpha to theta state, which is the healing state. And it's also a visionary light or can be very strong trance state mm -hmm. where people have uh, lucid dreams in the rest in, in Shavasana. And also it's recognized that the theta state where the brain slows down to, you know, I think 10 or 10 pulses of energy a second uh, is the healing state. It's where the body absorbs the energy that you create and through the work and effort you do and whatever practice you do and it works for healing. So this is understood in Shavasana, for example. So when you started to uh, explore these different indigenous technologies, had you already been practicing yoga at that time? Oh yeah, I started yoga in 1976. So I'd already had 15 years of regular, essentially Ashtanga yoga practice. But, and, uh, you know, varied practice as well. I play with the, the form and do what I need to each day. Yeah. And do you think that your yoga practice helped prepare you for uh, the plant medicine work? And do you think it helped you to, like, understand it and put it in a context where you could make sense of it? Uh, eventually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it did help quite a bit. And... Uh, uh, but I, I recognized that, you know, these were like, like the yoga practices create archetypical changes in people. You go through archetypical uh, changes and accessing of different information, I guess, um, over time doing these, all these kinds of practices, whether it's a sweat lodge or a silent fast, silence fast, or a drumming circle or a chanting circle or a magical plant circle or practicing yoga keeps giving you it it, it allows you to it, it gives you increased perception and maybe gradually sometimes in giant bursts and sometimes just steady uh, expansion and you gradually uh, have deeper insights and as you take care of yourself on the deeper levels or, or continuous levels that are just really suggestions from the ancestors and you try to purify yourself uh, the way you eat and think and uh, express yourself then you receive gradually more information and you have insights and visions and it can be through yoga or any of these other techniques that have been developed for the same purpose hmm. well you're I think you're most well known for being one of the first Western teachers of Ashtanga Vinyasa. And I'm wondering, how do you think that system is especially suited to this pursuit of freedom? All yoga is about freedom. It's uh, about liberation of the soul and uh, freeing yourself of sorrow and uh, creating vitality and health and ecstatic energy and clarity in your life. And, um, I think the practices over time, they evolve you can't, you know, I'm, I was practicing the classical routines of Ashtanga yoga for a number of years and 
taught the routines as I was taught. But as I met teachers of other forms of yoga and also uh, visited Egypt and saw um, what I thought or what I still think are the origins of yoga uh, on earth, perhaps, um, carved into the temples of Luxor, uh, then I started incorporating different elements into my practices, uh, including martial arts and kung fu positions and Tai Chi positions that I feel um, are work well with yoga. And so, um, you know, I, I make it a playful, constantly evolving exploration, but I use the basis of Ashtanga Yoga and the teachings of Krishnamacharya to explore the practices when I practice myself and when I teach. What is it about vinyasa as a method or technique that you think is uh, worthwhile exploring? Well, I think, you know, yoga is done according to your energy each day. Sometimes uh, I do a deeper practice. Sometimes I have to do a much softer practice. When you know um, different levels of techniques and different explorations, you can incorporate them depending on how much energy you have that day. Uh, you can do a, a stronger practice or a lighter practice if you're going through healing processes and learning how to judge your practice every day for what's appropriate for the day is the most important thing. It might be 20 minutes or it might be two hours, but uh, I try to judge it very carefully every day. So I'm always working on creating a healing force Mm -hmm. And what is it about, like, in vinyasa specifically, linking the breath and the movement together? Well, all the breath is... Vinyasa, you know, people have different definitions of vinyasa. What's yours? What do you... When you say vinyasa, what do you mean? Well, basically, that technique of linking breath and movement together. Uh, yeah, well, absolutely. It's, it's To me, yoga is an explore, exploration of breath. And that's the most important aspect because the breath boosts the immune system. It's, it changes brainwave pulse. Uh, it allows you to, per, like I said earlier, perceive more and become more into it, intuitive. Uh, but it also reflects on how you practice each day. You, you have to judge different levels of energy in the practice. But vinyasa also... It represents kind of composition. You know, it's a musical term. Mm. How how one note, the correct note, follows the <laughs> the next the, the, the note before, and so uh, it's arrangement. It, I think it is one of its definitions. Mm -hmm. So arranging the sequence using your intelligence each day is what it's about. Whether you do follow the classical routines of Ashtanga Yoga or whether you play with them or modify them, they have to be altered at some point because everybody goes through enormous structural changes and psychological and physiological changes. So therefore, if you just force yourself to do things because you think you have to stick with one routine, uh, then it gets very dangerous and it's very easy to hurt yourself, especially when you're getting indications of um, sensitive areas or weakened muscles or uh, structural changes that you need to, you, like I said earlier, use your intelligence to understand and develop a correct practice. Mm -hmm. And do you think that... Um this is something that we always need the guidance of a teacher for, or one of the great things about Ashtanga Vinyasa is you can learn a series and you've got that template um, and you don't necessarily need a teacher after that. I feel. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's well, I thought that was the beautiful thing about when I encountered David Williams and Nancy Gogoff and they had this form that you could learn and do it yourself. And then, you could you you were the you became the teacher and that's all that that made fantastic and a fantastic impression on me because uh, maybe you've heard me mention you know in Maui at those at that time in 1976 everybody was running around looking for gurus and people thought they needed gurus but uh, that was always something that was 
uh, I was very skeptical of, and I recognize we need teachers, and it's important to study with great teachers and learn something from them, and then then apply it to your own life and recognize you're you're not hold, you're not beholding to the teacher. It's it's a message, not the messenger, and the message is learning techniques you can do yourself. So that to me. I always tell groups that there's only one master of yoga and it's yourself. It's not about following masters. It's about learning techniques that make, give you mastery in, in life. Mm-hmm. And so once you learn the techniques, you're free. And then, but, but, you know, of course, if you go through some kind of, uh, big change, emotional or physiological, uh, you know, I've gone back to my teachers and said, hey, what can you help me here? What's going on? And, and the more experienced they were, the more the better their advice. Hmm. So, uh, and I, you know, that's happened many times, but that didn't mean I have to, I had to follow them, or give them all my possessions. <laughs> Just like uh, check in when you need some advice or help. Yeah, and also for learning further into the routines. Obviously, you need, if you're going to learn second series, you got to go to a gentle, competent, experienced teacher and so on. And uh, make sure they're very gen- careful and respectful and, uh, you know, helpful. Yeah, so like when you're... <laughs> teaching, sorry, teaching independence, teaching people to learn the technique so they can do it themselves. Yeah, well, I was going to actually bring that up because... Um... I met you when I was, I think, first starting to teach, and you gave me some advice to stay independent. And uh, I was going to ask you to expand on what you meant by that, but uh, well, I, I just said I just said it really. You yeah. know, the real teachings are given by people with the knowledge that you don't have to hang around. You know, you can study for a certain period of time. Some teachers it might be a long period. Other teachers it may be a short period, but Hopefully, they're giving you enough information to start to develop your own practice, which is the most important thing, taking care of ourselves. You know, I'm, I'm, I need to take care of myself before I can even consider help passing on these techniques. Yeah. And it sounds like um, over the years, you've been really flexible in how you approach your own practice. And I wanted to ask you about... Um, when someone comes to yoga later in their life, like in their 30s or 40s, and they might not have uh, the physical ability to take on a vigorous practice like Ashtanga Vinyasa, they might not even be able to sit cross-legged on the floor. And I'm wondering like, what you would recommend to them. <laughs> okay, well, let's put it this way. Anybody who comes to yoga, including myself, when I first started, I was 23 in pretty good shape. I'd swam and done gymnastics. And when I started doing the first salutation, I was like devastated how <laughs> powerful it was. So, but our teacher, the, the amazing teachers I studied with, David and Nancy, were very slow. They just taught people the first salutation three times the first day. And then the last three finishing poses and then but we had to we had to commit to coming to him for a month six days a week that was the commitment and uh at least showing up even if we were too tired or exhausted to do yoga with it we had to come and say hi so and then the next day they added on one more or two more salutations so then you know after two or three days we were doing five salutations and then the finishing poses. And it went on like that. Every day they'd add on one or two positions. But because, so they were, adap- and they were adapting it. If you didn't want to go further, you didn't have to. So they were adapting it every day to the group of people they were teaching. So it went, actually people learned very quickly and the strength develops very quickly in energy because if you learn these amazing techniques slowly and carefully under good guidance, then it, you pick it up very quickly. It's a fast science. It's a quantum science. So within a month, everybody, month, a month and a half, <clears throat> everybody was doing a primary series, and they knew it. And you could see after weeks of regular practice and also modifying the practice if you needed to some days, just doing much less, then your body adapted it, adapted to it very quickly. And that, that principle applies to anybody learning yoga. I've had people come to my classes who are in their 60s and 70s and 80s. And uh, I tried to work with them 
as well in the class and make sure they did less and modified the practice and, and stopped earlier. So anybody can learn elements of the practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so even just starting with something as simple as a few sun salutations in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, recognizing the idea is to, once you start to, you've repeated the exercises a few times, you start to do it on your own and you do what you remember. So it becomes your own practice. And for someone like you that's been practicing something like, I don't know, over 40 years, right? Um, 42 years. Yeah. 42 years. <laughs> I, I'm 43 right now. So. Oh, yeah. Well, you, I didn't know, I, I don't remember you at that first class. There were a couple of babies there. Were you there? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay. I was yet to be born. But uh, <laughs> what I was wondering is, like, how much has your practice changed over the years? Like, have you slowed the practice down? Are you still doing the more uh, demanding postures from the Ashtanga series? Oh, well, <clears throat> to me, all yoga is demanding. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do what I can every day. I am doing... I do poses for I do primary series practice and then I add in parts of second series and some days I do parts of third series and uh, some of fourth series so I'm still I you know I take it I'm much more careful because I'm a little older but I still notice in some ways I'm getting stronger in other ways I have to be a little more careful so uh, somehow I'm still surviving and I'm able to uh, you know, do a demanding practice if I need to and modify the practice radically if I need to do that on another day. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm very uh, experienced, I guess, by this point, uh, knowing what I need to do each day to keep myself energized and he he in the healing process and um, calm, <laughs> <laughs> centered, balanced. Yeah, well, I do the best I can. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always fascinating to me um, when I speak with people who are in their, let's just say, elder years. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm an old guy. <laughs> I don't want to say, you know, senior or anything like that. But I mean, I consider <laughs> I consider you an elder um, because you are uh, giving back, you know, you're, you're teaching us younger folks, um, some useful things and you're making, and I'm some... trying to stay just one step ahead. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I think that's like the whole thing, right? It's like you're a few steps ahead and you've got something that you've learned along the way. And you, I, I don't know if I'm a few steps ahead. All, all I know is I'm, I have a lot of experience, so I have more experience than most people that, uh, I encounter. So I'm just trying to pass on my experience. Yeah. Well, you know, in my family, um, I grew up in a blue collar family in Southern Ontario. And whenever somebody would turn 40, they always had this, like, it was called the over the hill party. And yeah. <laughs> there was this idea that once you hit 40, that life was a downward slide into old age and death. And uh, <laughs> I never resonated with with this and like you were hoping I, it wasn't true right <laughs> oh god but you know when i hit 40 a few years ago i felt better than i did when i was younger um and i think i owe that to a number of things one of them being the daily yoga practice um, of course yeah that's what it, it's a system that you know it's an ancestral gift to the human race to show people how to age with just a little bit of energy and a little bit of strength uh it's a gift that our our grandparents and our, most of our parents didn't have the opportunity to explore. But yoga has always been recognized, uh, even when it was a, a kind of a a myth in the Western world. They understood that the yogis lived very healthfully, very old, very long lives. So these are techniques that help slow down the aging process and keep your glandular system stimulated. Mm. Well, you know, what's like kind of amazing now is that my mom in her 60s uh, a few years ago asked me to teach her some yoga. And now she practices every day with some videos that I've made for her. Oh, that's great. That's beautiful. It's lovely to be able to teach your people you love. Yeah. You know, help, and just help them live a longer life. Oh, yeah, I hope so. And just like I think it's really um, 
quite beautiful that she showed an interest in this thing that, you know, was never a part of our house when we were growing up, you know, there, nobody ever mentioned yoga. So. Sure. Nobody, none of our households, but now it's a worldwide phenomenon. Everybody knows about yoga. Yeah. What do you think it is? Like, I've always wondered, like for myself, growing up in that kind of household where it was like about football and hockey and, um, and beer pretty much, <laughs> you know, um, I always wonder like where this interest came from for me. And like, it was there really early on this interest in all things like esoteric and mysterious and these secret practices. Um, and it's like the only thing that feels like some kind of evidence toward like a reincarnation or something. I just can't explain where that comes from. I'm wondering, like, if you have any insight into that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not for me personally, but maybe for you, like, where that came from. Where your feeling came from? Well, well your feeling, like, um, sounded like you were kind of a unique kid and interested in traveling the world and exploring all these things from a very young age. And I'm wondering, where do you think that, uh, that <laughs> Im impetus to explore the unknown where well, I think, think it's a from? it's a human trait, but uh, it's in your it's in all our genetics and DNA, uh, probably, because we're all wanderers. We're all wandering souls. You know, we we're on an, the souls on this endless journey through the universe. So, and the yogis understood that, and the all indigenous native cultures under that understood that. It's uh, the Egyptians understood it. The Polynesians. Uh, it's only the Western world that's confused about the journey, this endless journey of the soul. Mm. But eventually, everybody, I think, will come around. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of evolution. Some people come sooner, some people come later, but mm. the spirit wants everybody to be healthy and happy and vital and recognize that uh, the spirit really is just this power of love in the universe. And if we can tap into it, then through nature, through the beauty of nature um, and the power that, of this, you know, the natural world, which we are a part of, then something different starts to happen. Mm -hmm. I noticed that um, in your upcoming workshops, you're using this theme of the journey of the soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can, well, you, can you speak about the workshops that you've got coming up? Uh, you mean that specific topic? Uh, I always talk about those things, and I try to encourage a discussion on some, just some of these ideas, comparing different philosophies and ideas from different cultures. But, you know, ultimately, um, it's about tapping into the spirit and uh, the spirit world as well as learning how to live in this this reality as best we can so but to understand that we have that nature is always communicating with us and we just have to slow down and resensitize ourselves to understanding the the ways in which nature is trying to pass messages to us most indigenous groups were very in tune with that and always asking nature for guidance hmm. and observing nature and how it operates that the Chinese were you know the Taoists and were very in tune with that all indigenous cultures yeah I mean I've always felt that um, that yoga uh, allows us to tune into nature through our own nature and um and it's like yeah very much this act of listening you know it's sure quiet yeah, tuning it. in and and seeing what's there <laughs> seeing what's, yeah, you, what's coming up yeah absolutely as you may remember in my workshops sometimes i talk about how birds are messengers of the spirit and that's been understood in indigenous traditions for tens of thousands of years and birds are messengers of the spirit so sometimes when you need guidance you can you can call for a bird to give you information or you can come to the ocean and 
and just speak to the the force of nature, which we are a part of, you know, we're nature also. So we don't, this is the idea that you, you develop your means of communication with your own soul and with the spirit. And that's always been the, I think the case in these, the knowledge of indigenous traditions that you don't need the, the medium to communicate with your soul. You don't need the priest. You don't need the guru. You're mm. able to do it yourself. You don't need yoga. <laughs> you just need to go do it. <laughs> what? What? You don't need yoga. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. But, you know, yoga, doing an asana practice helps develop some energy and strength and gives you some vitality for manifesting your dreams. And, you know, when Krishnamacharya was asked, well, what, what is yoga about anyway? And he said, uh, creating personal destiny. So hmm. that's one aspect of it is recognizing that you're responsible for your dream. The yogis have always been recognized as dream masters, uh, as well as these indigenous traditions that do different ceremonies and, and being able to take a look outside yourself and step back and get a broader picture constantly helps you evolve your own dream and recognize that you can manifest something in your life, whatever you want. It's possible. Yeah. But back in the day, those yogis, I mean, all they had to do was do yoga. They got to be full-time yogis. <laughs> so what well, about us, like people who have to, you know, pay the rent? <laughs> <laughs> well, yoga is an evolutionary, on an evolutionary path. That's why it's come into the cultures all over the world. You, you can learn to work within the system and do things that you love, whether it's teaching yoga or just any kind of work that nurtures your soul and because we all have to survive but if you if you do create use your your abilities to dream and your the energy and vitality you have from taking care of yourself on and in ancestral with ancestral suggestions then you have a possibility of manifesting new types of work new ways to pay rent or new ways to avoid rent. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I started traveling when I was 19 and I recognized that there was, I had this, just this incredible urge to go around the world. And I, I didn't know anybody who had done it. And, uh, but something drove me to do it. And I worked for a year and then started traveling. And I recognized that there was a trail around the world. And if you jumped onto that trail, you could jump off at any time, then you were on this ancient path that people had been on for thousands of years um, mm. going place to place because it's all possible so uh, then I later I, I recognized there I didn't have to necessarily participate in the regular order of society and in fact that is one of the messages of yoga you can step to the edge of society and still perform your work and and what's necessary for you to do to take care of yourself and your family and still be just on the edge of the culture, not swept up by what's going on in the world and all these things that help create something that allow, allows for deep self introspection uh, and healing uh, help individuals recognize how to step outside the circle and, and not get caught Beautiful. Yeah. And one thing that I get from my yoga practice for sure is that energy you talk about, but also um, creative solutions to the different challenges that I face, you know, living an urban life where I am paying rent and, you know, uh, car insurance and all that stuff. Um, sure. I understand. Well, you got to, yeah, you, when you're in this the culture and you want to drive a car, you have to be legal, you know, so <laughs> one thing leads to another, but you can also, Somehow, you can live periods of time, and that's, you know, when people go on vacation, where do they go? They go to these extraordinary natural places and try to get the energy of nature and the restorative, restorative energy of nature to help them in their lives. And I think we all recognize the longer we spend in those kinds of environments, the healthier it is for us. So people make changes. And <clears throat> I always say, you keep doing yoga and you you keep uh, 
uh, up with your own practices and meditation and you're constantly receiving new information and new, like you say, new ways of experiencing life. And there's no limitations. The spirit wants you to experience all those things. It wants you to have freedom and recognize that you're protected and loved. Yeah. I, when you're tapped into that, it's just, uh, it's so exciting to be on that journey, uh, never knowing where life is going to take you, but knowing that the possibilities really are endless. Absolutely. And of course, you know, when you have some kind of wild dream or some, some, your imagination is sparked, it's your soul speaking to you, giving you some new ideas, some new directions. And yoga is soul work and yoga taps into that, the magical realities of life and all the things that we can create for ourselves and others. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, it seems like for you that music is an outlet for that soul to speak um, because when I listen to your music, it, it evokes the same kind of joy and wonder that I get when I practice yoga or I work with plant medicines and ceremony. Um, and so how oh, does, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it really takes me there. Um, and I'm just wondering how does your music relate to your yoga practice and the shamanic practices? <laughs> well, music is, you know, is as old as the human race. I think they, there's some, some, speculation that the first music came from list, people listening to songbirds millions of years ago and then imitating the sounds of nature and the sounds of birds and the songs of birds <clears throat> and of course it's always been used in shamanic practices uh, indigenous um, circles whether it's pygmies or who are the you know considered some of the greatest musicians on earth or apache or uh, Amazonian chants and songs and calls to the spirit and the recognition recognition of the beauty and power of nature it has always been part of of uh, mankind's uh, experience and evolution and when you look even at the songs of Peruvian and Amazon uh, Brazilian Amazonian natives when they conduct ceremonies the language is the same as the Vedas the songs to Soma and the hymns to Soma. So they're all tapped into the same thing. And one thing leads to another and you bring it into contemporary uh, culture and world music and you have all these elements that can, can be combined to hopefully to inspire and beautiful melodies to move people and ideas. So uh, I, I, music led me to yoga. It led me to everything really. So I, I'm very t attached to continuing to play music and write songs and just enjoy that process as well. Mm. You know, I was at one point I was thinking about asking you like why you hadn't uh, released a book, um, which is something that you know most well-known teachers have done at some point or another. Um, but then <laughs> I realized that your book is in your music. And you tell like all of the stories through your music. And, you know, I'm going to tell anyone, if you want to know what Danny Paradise thinks about yoga and life, pick up his CD and have a look at the booklet inside, because I think the whole story's in there. Oh, well, good. I'm glad you think it's in one spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's definitely, um, there's a lot of it in there, uh, you know. Um, and I was wondering, like, when did you start recording your was, music? Because you've been playing a long time. Yeah, well, I, you know, because I've been traveling for 40 years and, and uh, in the early days, especially, I started recording in different countries and working with different musicians. I'd find a studio and just work with musicians in Cairo and Nepal and Bali and um, England and Canada, United States and so I was very fortunate to just meet incredible players and, and gifted musicians and that wanted to help me.
Something that you've done recently uh, is a short film uh, that you created the music for, and I believe also the concept, the Children of the Forest, uh, Love Will Rescue You short film. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit about that, because uh, it's a really beautiful and touching film, talking about something that's a real problem in the world. And uh, it must have taken a lot of time for you to put together, I'm imagining. How did that Actually, get started? Well, it came together because uh, I was introduced. I'm friends with Matthew and Mary Kelly, who are philanthropists who were supporting Children of the Forest in Thailand, which is a beautiful bamboo village in northwest Thailand, near the Burmese border. It just its own thing in a isolated forest area outside of Songklaberry, uh, right 20 kilometers from the Burmese border, where two million people have come into Thailand across Burma, and they take care of all these hundreds of hundreds of Mon and Karen children, um, some whose parents couldn't take care of them, some who don't have parents, impoverished, broken families, rescued from traffickers, any number of conditions, or escaped from traffickers or labor camps. And 150 kids go to school there and live on the property permanently and are fed there and cared for. And then 250 kids come in every day for lunch and school. And then for another 400, 500 kids are taken care of with programs that are outreach programs that reach into the surrounding area. So uh, it's this remarkable place where hundreds of kids are just taking care of each other. The older ones are taking care of the younger ones. And there's a, a small number of adults there. But it's really the kids just coming in and being surrounded by love and tenderness of so many other kids that helps them heal from whatever trauma they're dealing with when they arrive. So it's this, so when I, I came there to teach yoga and play music for the kids, Matthew Kelly is an amazing musician, used to play with Bob Weir quite a bit and the Grateful Dead. And uh, they wanted just to have fun with the kids and show them some yoga. And I suggested after visiting there and teaching there, that maybe we make a little film about the project and what they're doing. And then gradually that turned into a, a video and an animated video because they were invited to speak at the United Nations in a program on child rights worldwide. Mm -hmm. So uh, Matthew had heard the song I wrote and said he wanted to fund a film. And I connected him with my animator friend who also did the booklet to my CD that you were talking about, Travelers, Magicians, and Shamans. He's one of the world's greatest animators, Seud Elia. And we presented the idea to him that perhaps we could do a film about the situation and he could do some minutes of animation. Seud was animation director for Walt Disney and Steven Spielberg feature films. And I met him in Brazil in 1991 in the Western Amazon. And we've been friends ever since. And Seud did a script and Matthew and Mary agreed to fund it. And then we did some live footage as well at Children of the Forest, kind of integrating the animated part of the film with live footage. And we had incredible players that helped put together the song. Bobby Pars was the producer and played bass. And, and um, Chris Boti played trumpet. Some friends from Norway, some Norway's greatest musicians. Uh, Rita Erickson sang and Torbjorn Oakland played guitar. And Mike Finnegan played organ. He played with Jimi Hendrix when he was 17 years old. <laughs> and he's a studio musician in L.A. And we had a guy named Fran Morante from California playing. And also Matthew Kelly played harmonica. So we, we had all these friends, and it all came together as this uh, somehow over about three months. Three, three months. months. Wow. Yeah. So anybody can see that on uh YouTube now if they type in Love Will Rescue You with my name and Matthew Kelly's name. Yeah, I'll definitely include a link to that. And 
I mean, it's incredibly moving that that film. Uh, so, is that something that you're raising money for ongoing? I'm trying to raise awareness and of of what's going on there because they need support and uh, they have Matthew and Mary helping them, but they still need more funding. And also, it's the kind of project that I recognized is an example of the power of love to heal trauma and also uh, to help turn people who are stateless or with no uh, national identification papers into productive citizens because they're teaching them skills and they're teaching them um, how to read and write and uh, all kinds of different technical skills and help them go into university. And it's a living example of what could happen all over the world because of the situation on borders everywhere with immigrants and, and countries refusing to give identity papers to people who are in the country uh, under this under the the idea that if they they'll take jobs away from resident local residents but in fact when people are raised in this way they add to the culture and they add uh, a new vitality and from their own experience so uh, I, I totally I, I I'm just trying to help people understand that this situation exists and it's a universal situation in the United States or on the borders of Europe or all over Asia where people are stuck between countries and they can't get out of their own area in particular in Thailand and this region they're not allowed to travel out of that province they're not theoretically allowed to work so and it's very difficult to get papers that you know simple paper and of course the idea of borders anywhere is ridiculous we all know that borders are just political or economic, so uh, or tribal. <laughs> mm. So one day maybe there'll be no borders, but at that time there'll be a lot less people around, <laughs> and then everybody can go wherever they want, which should be the case anyway. Do you have any um, retreats or workshops coming up that you want anyone to know about? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I'm teaching all over Europe in August, September, October. But also I do a retreat in Thailand every end of January, January 25th to February 5th next year, 2019, uh, is at this remarkable wildlife sanctuary in Thailand where all the houses and the yoga deck and the restaurant float on a jungle lake. And it's a gibbon ape sanctuary. People can see pictures of that on jungleyoga.com or check out my website. It's my name, dannyparadise.com, and write me for information about that. But that is absolutely one of the most beautiful places on earth. And it's a true, it's a true wildlife sanctuary with elephants and uh, lynx and gibbon apes and monkeys and giant hornbills and giant serpent eagles and monitor lizards it's all it's all there it's wow. a safe protected a remarkable place yeah i've been um following that place for a few years and uh i don't know i gotta make it out there one of these <laughs> years and maybe, absolutely maybe next year it's gonna happen yeah, I uh, my friends Dick and Beth Balsamo led me there, and uh, I used to do retreats in other areas of Thailand in the late '90s, early 2000s. And then after the tsunami, we they had been taking me to this place, and I always knew it would be a remarkable place to bring groups. And so when the tsunami hit this other place on Golden Buddha Beach that we I had been doing retreats on, we shifted to this lake and that's how it started so but it, it, it's always been a national park and uh protected natu national park well great so i'm going to add a, a link to your website as well and of course people can go there to find out more about you and where you're going to be teaching coming up and um yeah i just want to thank you so much for taking the time with me i know we've had some uh connection issues but i can edit things together and uh, 
thank you so much for just putting these messages out there. You're a huge inspiration to me as a person. Oh, thank you very much. Well, you're inspiring too in what you're doing and I, I like what you're up to. So you have to carry on as well. And I really appreciate your what you said. So thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you, Danny. Thanks for checking in with me and inviting me to participate. Yeah. Okay. Well, have a great, I don't know, what time of day is it there? It's about 3.30, I guess, in the afternoon. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. <laughs> enjoy the rest hey, of your afternoon, eh? Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Brian. You take care and you enjoy yourself too in Montreal. Yeah, thanks, man. Rescue You that's raising awareness about the children of the forest, a sanctuary and school for abandoned and abused children in the Thai-Burmese border zone. And check out Danny's website at dannyparadise.com for all his upcoming events and ongoing projects. I'll include links in the show notes at medicinepathpodcast.com. Thanks again for listening. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a five-star review, which really helps people find this podcast. I'd also appreciate it if you shared this podcast with your friends on social media. One of my goals with the podcast is to present conversations with teachers who are outside the mainstream and who I feel are offering valuable, underrepresented perspectives on yoga, music, shamanism, and other healing paths. Sharing this podcast and leaving a review would really help me amplify their voices and enrich the collective understanding of these subjects. If you have any suggestions for upcoming guests, please send me an email at medicinepathyoga at gmail.com. Well, that's all for now. I wish you all the best, and I hope that we can meet again on the Medicine Path. Where the heart says go, got to go. Where the heart says go. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.